Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting edition of Mage Wars Mondays. My name is Rick from Let'sLevelUp.net, and I'm back. It's actually the first episode I've missed in the entirety of this podcast history. It was last week. I'd like to uh, thank Scott and Aaron both for soldiering on without me. I had the honor and privilege of welcoming um, my third child into this world, and it was great just to have some time to um, kind of help adjust. There's a big... There's a big learning curve, I think, um, anytime you bring life into this world, regardless if it's your first or tenth, um, and especially if you have young kids, it takes a while for them to kind of get used to things, so it was really good to be able to just kind of focus on that for a bit, although, uh, you know, midway through the whole week, we, we were talking, and uh, it was like, oh man, well, can I make time to do the podcast? Because I really... I, I love Mage Wars so much, and it is truly my favorite game, and which I've gushed about on this podcast. I think enough for anybody, um, but you know, it's it's. I love doing this so much, and I love your guys's feedback and what you do with Let's Level Up .net and Mage Wars Mondays. Um, it's just awesome, and I definitely um, think it was really cool that uh, Scott and Aaron had the time to get along without me and keep going. And it was really a good episode, I think. So it was good to have Scott back. Unfortunately, he is not with us today, which stinks. He is at Gamma um, this week with a lot of the Arcane Wonders crew. But Aaron is here, um, my partner in crime, the the indomitable one, the one who strikes fear in the hearts of children across America. And really the world. I should just limit it to the United States. That's very uh, uh, nationalist of me, I think. Well, at the very least, you need to open it up to North America. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, you know, Canada and Mexico are cool, too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Being of Mexican um, descent, I think, helps. <laughs> well, my, uh, my mother's side of the family is... Um, pretty dang English. Um, like, at one point, there's a picture of my grandfather sitting, uh, like, when we got his stuff after he passed away, he had actually traced the family lineage. So there's a picture of him standing in England, pointing at a street sign that is his last name. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well, it doesn't get much more British than that. Yeah, that's pretty um, British. And then my father's side of the family is... Uh, split between British and German. So uh, we're just, we're very European. Yeah. <laughs> very European. <laughs> um, but at the, like, yeah, I'm super American, so ta-da. Well, there we um, go. No, the thing my, my mom always liked to say about kids, um, by the time she had my sister, uh, which was the youngest, the third child, um, she would start forgetting things um, because if any of you have ever had the joy of meeting my brother, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I love my brother to death. He's crazy. Yeah. Um, and growing up, our house was crazy. So my mom always said that to bring a child into this world, you have to jumpstart their brain with some of your own. So if you're lacking later in life, that's why. <laughs> That's a good saying. I like it. And that. we were never really in a state to argue with her logic. It was pretty flawless. Yeah. I mean, that's, it, 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 it's, 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 it's a quirky thing to say, but it makes a lot of sense when you step back. I mean, it really is something you need to do, I think, right or wrong. Uh, you're, you're, you're hopefully building a better you, I think. That's, that's the approach I take with my children, is I want them to be better than me at pretty much everything I've done. Which, I mean, to be honest, 
isn't very hard to do because I'm kind of just a giant mess at the end of the day. My my dad was always uh, my dad was always the calm, um, collected one, and my mom was always the worrier. <laughs> okay. uh, and and she worried because she wants nothing but the best for us. But at the same time, that that also made her uh, a bit twitchy at times. Um, I love my mom to death. She is she is fantastic. Um, uh, but her and my dad definitely have a very different way of approaching things. Um, dad was always the calm one uh, until you got mom mad, and then dad was not the calm one. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see that. But no, my my parents were fantastic. That's awesome. So. Well, last week you and Scott talked all about Academy Man, and that was really cool to hear. Um, you know, again as a fan, kind of sit back and just listen to things. Um, Academy sounds like it is going to be amazing. But you guys also did something last week that I thought was really neat, and you just talked a little bit about um, some other games that you may have been playing. So, Aaron, have you got anything on the table since last episode that um, um, that you want to bring up? Yeah, no, um, so last Thursday, um, usually on Thursdays, John and I have uh, a few friends, a couple friends that we'll bring over and we'll play board games and stuff like that. It's kind of awesome, uh, when our schedules work, but last week was a good, was a good day because it all worked out. Um, we had some friends over and I got to play Race for the Galaxy for the first time. Um, and I, I realized that, like, there's a long list of games I should have played, like, five years ago, um, considering I worked at a game store, uh, and I would definitely put this one on it. The only thing that bothered me was there is, there is just a ton of symbols. However, after, after a few rounds through the game, you, most of the symbols are... Um, amalgamations of other symbols. So it's like, oh, that's the one that means I draw a card. And so it's next to this symbol, which means I also do this. And so things start to make sense. Sure. Uh, by the end of the game, we were all pretty excited. It was it was really fun. That's awesome, man. So. I actually got to play uh, Sunday. I had a buddy come over. Actually, Bevan, who was a guest on the podcast uh, a few week, or a few episodes ago, um, actually came over um, with his family, and we got to play a couple small, like little micro games. But then we uh, we unwrapped my Kemet I've had on my shelf for a few months now, and I finally got oh, to play awesome. Kemet, and it was really fun. We played it two players, and I could see that there's, I think it definitely the experience is better. I could, I mean, just tell um, with more players, but even with two, it was a really um, neat war game, and it was super simple to play. Um, it's easy. There's a lot of pieces, but it's really easy to set up. And um, it was, man, it was cutthroat just from the very beginning of the game. Unfortunately, it only lasted about five turns, but it was great. Awesome. No, my wife was super excited because uh, last week, yeah, the beginning of last week, I, th I think it was last week, my brain might be missing things when things actually came out or not. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> well, so... Um, a few, like last year at one of the conventions, um, I got to meet, uh, Sean Lashgari who works for AEG. Um, and the, the dude is amazing. He is such a cool guy. 
Um, and their products are all great. I've loved AEG since long before I worked in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in high school, and I kid you not, most high schools had games of magic going on at lunch. We actually had giant round lunch tables that were one big game of L5R. Nice. I'm not kidding. It was amazing. Um, but anyway, so um, at one of the conventions last year, um, he had a flight hiccup. Um, and so we were like, well, we have space. So, you know, come come hang with us. So I got to I got to meet him. It was super cool. So I sent him an email uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, you know, I can't find a big geeky box. Do you guys still have any? Um, and so I get a, I get a, a package that's don't have a big geeky box, but here, enjoy this. And oh, it was the, awesome. it was the, the pretty, pretty expansion for smash up, yeah, which my I, wife is so excited about. I just got <laughs> that actually from, from Amazon actually a couple days ago. And, um, there'll be a, a let's level up review on the channel within the week. So I'm actually, I love smash up, man. It is a, um, it's a game that it is. You can teach it to almost anybody. Um, there's a lot of variety to the game, and it's one that doesn't take. It's not. It's it's and it's one that's not afraid to just be silly. And I think there's a lot of games that take themselves too seriously at times. And Smash Up's definitely not one of those. And it's just fun, man. It's just a really cool, light game, and it, it, there's a lot of room for strategy too. In an odd, in an odd kind of bringing it all back around, uh, the first time I played Smash Up was when AEG brought it to the Gamma Trade Show, and I got to sit down and play uh, with a couple of the employees, um, and then there was another gentleman in a four-player game. I just want you to know that Robot Dinosaurs won. <laughs> just throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, no, the thing I've always loved is that it's. It plays really fast and really simple, but if you're someone like me, who, like, I love card combos and I love, you know, strategy games and stuff like that, there's enough meat there that you can feel like you're having a real impact on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the game is is fast and simple enough that, you know, new players can pick it up and run with it real fast. I've... I've always had a good time with that game. So. Yeah, it's just good. It's just it's just good old fashioned fun, and I, <laughs> I really like it. Um, have you? Are there any of the new factions from from Pretty Pretty Smash that um, that you're interested in? Um, well, I will say this. Um, since my wife was super excited about this, she is going to play princesses on bear cavalry. Okay, oh, yeah, but I like that. evidently that's going to be a thing. Okay. And it looks pretty good. I personally am very psyched about the kittens. Kitt- kittens sound um, sound pretty incredible. The fact that they can um, basically especially when they're two drop grumpy cat. Yeah. <laughs> now I like I, Mr. Grumpers or whatever. It's I, awesome. I haven't looked through the cards yet, um, but. Just reading the synopsis for Fairy, that sounded very exciting. I mean, I, when I think of Fairy, I think oh, of, their their cards are really interesting. Yeah, I think of the tricksters and I think of the geeks. You know, those those kind of 
blue mana. I mean, not to not to bring something, you know, try to draw a parallel here that other people may understand if they haven't played it. But those effect type magics and those those weird gotchas. So I take it you like the shapeshifters too. I like the shapeshifters. Yeah, I haven't played them as much as I'd like to, but um, the last game I played, it was uh, I had shapeshifting aliens. Oh man. Um, Evidently, people really hated me because all I did was I kept fishing out invaders. Yeah, yeah. like because they have all those things where they can turn into people and all this craziness. And I swear I played like seven invaders that game. Yeah, you can. It was do that really dumb. And then just get third place on all the bases and end up winning. It's awesome. Well, um, I feel like if we don't purposefully stop, we will continue to meander about Smash Up. <laughs> Until we'll go, well, that was a great Mage Force Mondays, guys. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. So let's get to the meat of this episode. Let's get to the point of what you guys are all wanting to hear, and that's us talk about the greatest game, Mage Wars. Um, We wanted to go back and do something that we have done periodically throughout the uh, history of this show or throughout the timeline of this show and actually uh, focus around a single mage. Um, and the mage that we decided to talk about is one of the four core mages of the Mage Wars uh, set, and it's the Araxian Crown Warlock. Um, now, we've talked a bit about the Adremelic Warlock in the past with all our Forge and Fire discussions, um, but bringing it back, the Araxian Crown Warlock was one of the, um, you know, was one of the first ones that actually got my attention um, of the core set. You know, and it's one of the ones that um, Arcane Wonders, you know, really makes prominent. Um, to it, you know, it's one of the two suggested starting. Uh, mages, it's it's he's on the cover of the box, and he's just awesome. And if anybody's been watching the gamma coverage, uh, the stuff stuff we posted, he's also on the cover of the academy box. Yeah, well, I should say a slightly different uh, warlock is on the cover of the academy box. But yes, little warlock, if you will, warlock in training, mini me. Yeah. <laughs> So let's go through the stats really quick of the Araxian Crown Warlock. He's got 38 health. He's a beefy, uh, he's a pretty beefy mage. Um, he, I believe he's the... He's the, the most health of anything. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, he's, yes. Yes, he is. Sorry. <laughs> he's got... He's got I was trying to remember. Oh, wait. How much does Sardonyx have? No. <laughs> He's got nine channeling. Uh, he, of course, he's trained in both dark and fire magics, and he has two really cool abilities plus battle skill, which gives him melee plus one. So he's swinging four dice just with his hands, um, which is really impressive. Um, he's got curse weaving and blood reaper. Both are amazing, I think, in their own right. So, Aaron, let's talk about curse weaving first. Um, sure. The idea behind curse weaving is that. If I have multiple curses or curses on a creature that's destroyed, um, I could take one of those curses and rather than discarding it, put it back into my spell book. So something like Poisoned Blood or another really powerful curse, I can just keep cycling that back into my book and keep spreading that throughout um, the different um, creatures that may be on the board or mages that are on the board. Um, is With curse weaving, would you, would you be... How should I say this? Are, curse weaving to me means, hey, play curses with this mage, right? It just makes sense, right? But is that is that too much of a 
Is that too much of a given? Like, if you're going to go against the Araxian Crown Warlock, you're going to see curses at some point? Or is that something that uh, people can feel free to branch out whenever they're doing book construction and maybe not have a curse-heavy Araxian Crown Warlock? What kind of builds have you seen? And kind of maybe tie that in with the actual ability of curse weaving. Well, one thing I will say is that, um, especially in the core, um, the Araxian Crown Warlock is one of the more... Uh, flexible mages, um, partially because he's trained in two schools, mm -hmm. so that gives him a wide breadth of spells, um, and partially just because he, the the Beastmaster is, I would say, the most straightforward. You want to play beasts, and you want to attack with them, but the Araxian Crowned Warlock is, I would say, probably the simplest mage. And by that I mean, he he just wants to, you know, get in there and do damage. And so he's got curses that help that. He's got creatures that help that. He his his other ability helps that. So the the thing is that whichever direction you go with him, um, as long as you're taking an aggressive approach, he's got a tool that'll help you get that done. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as long as you're trying to throw dice on your opponent, you're good. Um, you can do some control stuff with him, but to me, um, you really want to be, um, you know, pressuring your opponent. Now, as far as curse weaving, most of the time... Um, the books I see for Interaxing Crown Warlock um, will have a fair number of curses in them. Um, the thing to keep in mind with curse weaving is it only works if the thing you cursed is dead. Mm -hmm. So, what this means is, unlike, unlike the Adrimalek Warlock, who wants to put curses on t important targets so that she can tear them down um, quickly because it's going to give her creatures a bonus. It's going to give her attack spells a bonus. Um, for him, he can be more flexible with who he places curses on. Uh, normally, if you sit there and you play Falella, if I'm the Eraxian Crown Warlock, me putting, say a ghoul rot on her is not that is not necessarily a bad play whereas if I'm the Adrimalek warlock and I'm wasting one of my precious um, curses on her then I'm not getting the most I can out of it for the Eraxian crown warlock you know a few turns later she's going to be dead and she'll just get it back that's the other thing, is if you have multiple curses on someone, you're only going to get one of them back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't be afraid to to curse things that you may not normally want to because you want to save those spells. But at the same time, you don't necessarily want to overload someone with curses because you're only going to get one back. Uh, one of my favorite things 
is, uh, I believe it's Curse of Agony. I want to say it's Curse of Agony. Agony. It's yeah. the one that does damage when you move. Um, Chains of Agony. Chains of Agony. Thank you. It was driving me nuts. I'm not <laughs> kidding. <laughs> but so, Chains of Agony is a fantastic spell to use against zombies because every time they move they're taking one direct damage so that's getting around their awesome resilient trait and most of them have less life to start with to make up for the fact that they have effectively infinite armor right well as i mentioned with the adrimalek warlock if you put a Chains of Agony on there, it's still a good play, especially since that's powering up your fire spells, which have a chance to put burns on them, which is great. But if you're the Arexian Crown Warlock, you can kind of fire and forget. Oh, you're a crawler. I'm going to put this on you. When you die, I'm going to get it back. I'm going to put it on another zombie. Um, and yes, that's... That takes a lot of time, so, you know, you may want to keep that kind of tempo in mind, but that's part of the beauty of it. Um, you can you can use it, like, when you're playing an uh, Raxian Crown Warlock, or when you're playing a Warlock in general, there are certain curses, depending on the curses you put in your book, certain curses that are just incredibly important to various matchups. Well, for instance, if you're playing against a priestess or a druid, um, poisoned blood can be exceptionally, exceptionally valuable. Mm-hmm. Well, for the Erexian Crown Warlock, he can put that on a creature, attack into it, when they go to heal it, reveal stop the heal, and then kill the creature off next turn and get that spell back. Because at the end of the day, you're going to want to end up putting it on their mage. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's going to be the most valuable place to put it. But at the same time, ensuring that you're able to finish off a target is key. Um, one of the things that Brian likes to say is that the only point of damage that really matters is the last one. Because... <laughs> I like that. You can you can do you know, you can do nine damage to a Timberwolf and it's still gonna attack you for four dice. So you know, being able to ensure finishing off targets, that's that's a good thing. And so that's something that's where this curse weaving can really help. Same thing can be said for marked for death. Marked for Death is a fantastic spell, and you know what? You're probably going to want to end up with that on their mage. But if there's someone you need to finish, someone that you you absolutely have to get rid of, you're not afraid to use it on them because it's still going to be usable later for your mage. Right. So, um, and with all that said, my single favorite combo, um, and trust me when I say... You won't get to do this often, and <laughs> once people once people see you doing this, 
um, expect their books to become filled with non-living creatures. Um, Rise Again is a curse. So you can reveal Rise Again, kill that creature, it reanimates as a zombie, and you get Rise Again back. Mm. It's, for, for two men. When it works, it's super fun. Um, you have to pay, I believe it's half the cost of the creature to reanimate it. Um, but... Oh, okay. It's, it's pretty awesome. Um, but like I said, once you've done that once, people will get twitchy around it, and they will... There are things you can do to kind of tech against it. Um, but at the same time, for me... That's three points in my Warlock book. I tend to put one of those in and just leave it. Because if I get it to work more than once, that is so much gravy. <laughs> uh, but if they do something to stop it, that's I suppose that's fine. Um, but so to kind of go back, loop it all back around to the original question... Um, even if you run few curses, as long as you're mindful of how this ability works, you can use it to your advantage. Yeah, you can definitely use it to your advantage. Um, if you go deep into curses, it allows you to it allows you that flexibility so that not every curse has to go on their mage. So you can use your curses to get some of the the other work done that you're going to need. So, sweet. Um, that's that's, awesome. that's my general thoughts on curse weaving. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about their other ability, Blood Reaper, um, which you know a lot of Blood Reaper, sweet. Yeah, it's awesome. It's 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 not it's not. I don't know if it's quite as good as pet to me, but it's awesome just thematically and what you can make. You can make a demon even more scary with Blood Reaper, which is great. Now, it does come at a cost of life. Um, the Warlock has to pay life equal to the creature's level, I believe, plus one. Um, but once they do that, the, um, the Blood Reaper, or the demon that's getting played on it, which I believe has to be a non-legendary demon? Yeah. So, uh, has they to be non-legendary. They get Bloodthirsty plus two, and then the Warlock can essentially heal damage um, from that, and it's just... It's disgusting. It's, it's, it's really at the end of the day. You can make some some demonic creature even gnarlier than it actually is coming out. And you can put Blood Reaper on a lot of the different demons out there. I mean, um, I mean, there's far more um, normal d demon creatures than there are legendary demon creatures. So If I, guess, I remember right, I think there's two legendary demons. So uh, Dremelec and Malkota. I might be wrong. I might be missing one, but I think those are the only two. Aaron, this right begs, now. This begs the question: Who, who, who's your blood reaper? Who's your go-to blood reaper? Do you have a top two, top three? Um. Okay, so in the in the core set of Mage Wars, uh, there were three non uh, non unique demons: uh, the Firebrand Imp. The Flaming Hellion, the Dark Pack Slayer. Um, I'm firmly in the camp that you should judge your Blood Reaper 
by how he stacks up to the Dark Pack Slayer. Um, because that is, that's the bar. Um, and they're, like, I don't use the Dark Pack Slayer anymore, but he's the bar that I judge them by. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Blood Reaper increases your offense a significant amount only against living uh, damaged living targets, which is very important. Now, the positive side of that is the single most important thing for you to kill is always alive. Um, and often they're damaged. So once you get a few rounds in, um, this can be very significant when attacking their mage. That's a great point. Um, and so you always have someone that you can get this bonus on, even if they completely tech against you. Now, so the reason that I bring up the Dark Pack Slayer is he has he has a significant amount of life, and he has two armor. Blood Reaper increases your offense and heals your mage, but does nothing to increase the longevity of your Reaper. And unlike unlike the pet for the Beastmaster, you lose life when you play when you Blood Reaper something. You don't get that back. That doesn't heal. You're actually decreasing your maximum health, which is a good thing that he has more health than any other mage. Sure. But but that's the thing is that if you keep blood reapering things, you're losing life that is not easily gotten back. So that's something to keep in mind. That's why something like something like the uh, Dark Pack Slayer with his two armor and significant health is a good thing because he can stick around for a while. He's going to be able to do work. The other reason I like him is his attack bar. He's rock solid. He's got four attack dice, and he has piercing. Yeah, piercing too, right? Exactly. So against the living target, he's going to be able to throw four uh, six dice if they're damaged, and he's going to ignore two points of armor. So that's why I start with him. He's the he's the standard. Um, the reason I don't like him is that he is level three, so I have to lose four life to to Reaper him. Mm-hmm. That's also why I don't Reaper either of the other two demons out of the core set, because they are significantly less survivable. Now, if you want to Reaper a fire, Firebrand Imp, that's only going to cost you two, and that doubles his offense effectively. So that can be a fair play, but he's very easy to kill. And then the uh, the Flaming Hellion is special because he has a, a solid fire melee attack and a solid fire range attack. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm bloodthirsty... That means I have to melee attack something if there's a damage loading target in my zone. So if I really want to use my range attack, I'm going to be unable. 
sometimes. And he has significantly less life. So he's much easier to kill. So those those are kind of the issues with those two. Um, Aaron, what do you think about Blood Demon? Now, Blood Demon is my go-to. Okay, okay. He, Sorry, I should have let you get to absolutely it. My, he is absolutely my go-to. Um, it's an amazing combination. The only, the only time I'm not super excited about him is against the Necromancer, because non-living creatures doesn't give vampirism or bloodthirsty a chance to shine. Sure, yeah. But, but like I said, if you can just get some damage on their mage, uh, dude flies, dude heals himself, and he attacks for like six damage, or six dice. Yep. Um, once he's all reapered up. So he is amazing. Uh, flying is fantastic on a blood reaper. It lets you ignore a lot of the kind of common melee attacks. Um, unless your opponent does something to deal with it, you know, they're never going to attack you with an iron golem. Or I should say, they're never going to attack your blood reaper with an iron golem. Right. They're never going to attack your blood reaper with a zombie brute. Like, these guys who throw huge numbers of dice, they don't fly and they don't live. So unless you're actively doing something to knock down the other flying creature, it really limits what they can use against them. Um, and it has a significant, it has a, a, a solid amount of health. Vampirism on its attack, it already has bloodthirsty, so giving it more bloodthirsty is just gravy. I mean, it's already going to be, um, it's already going to be stuck attacking living damage targets. So if you give it more bloodthirsty, well, then it's going to be forced to attack living damage targets harder. <laughs> so it's he's my go-to. Also in Forged in Fire was the first level two um, non-legendary demon. And Forged in Fire also had the third legendary demon because that's Sursix. Um, but... He's a familiar, and he has his own kind of space. Mm -hmm. But um, the uh, Infernian Scourger. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Counter Strike. He's 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 a level two with Counter Strike. <laughs> he has a three die melee attack with piercing one. Here's the beauty of it, though. If I were to battle fury something, uh, you know, like my Infernian Scourger. His first attack would get his bloodthirsty bonus. His second attack would not, because that's the way uh, that's the way that they work. You only get that once during your action phase. Counter Strike is me attacking in a separate attack sequence outside of my action phase. So if you attack me and you're damaged, I swing back for five. He's pretty sweet. Um, the only downside to him is he's a, if I remember right, a 1-8. His one armor, 8 health. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's not, he's not a pushover, but at the same time, he's not, he's not super durable. Um, but to me, when you're looking for a Blood Reaper right now, you want 
the Dark Pack Slayer, the Blood Demon, or the Scourger. Um, I have seen uh, one of the one of the guys that I play with on a fairly regular basis. He really like he swears by the um. Wow, now my brain is completely spaced, <laughs> no. and I can't remember what the dang thing's called. The imp that teleports. Wow. Uh, wildfire. My brain is. Too- Thank you. It's like I made that card. I should remember this. <laughs> oh, Brain sh- totally spaced. Oh, Aaron, shame on you, sir. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but he he loves making them his his blood reaper because he can summon them on one side of the board, light the something on fire, and then just teleport them straight to it so they get their <laughs> five die attack on it. And then if you kill it, it's like, oh, darn, you killed it. Next turn, I'll lose two life and, you know, or I should say, like, a couple turns after, because obviously they can't act the turn they come into play, but a couple turns after, I'll just fire another five-die melee attack at you, and we'll call that good. Huh. I I don't like being that expendable with my uh, Blood Reaper. Sure. So... For me, like I said, it's the the big three, and uh, honestly, I think all of them are great. Um, but if you're if you're new to a warlock, I would start with the Dark Pack Slayer because he's going to be the most generally durable and the best general offense. Um, the other ones have a bit of nuance to them, um, but the Dark Pack Slayer. If you're just kind of building your book, kind of how you normally would, regardless, um, you should have things to help him in there, and you should be fine. Um, and not to, you know, bring up last episode's conversation this time. Um, that's this is one of the reasons that I'm super excited about Academy. Is I think right now. We're actually testing six new demons that are level two, level one and two. Oh, wow. So it's super exciting for me um, because I've always been a huge fan of the Erection Crown Warlock. um, And much like the Beastmaster becomes more exciting, the more options you have for him to apply his pet to the the warlock becomes more exciting the more options you have to apply his his blood reaper to um but off the top of my head i would still probably keep my top three uh but you know the ones in testing are in testing they could change sure that makes that's really cool really really awesome to look forward to um I know this episode's gone kind of long, but there are still a couple things I think I want to hash out with the Araxian Crown Warlock, and I'm sure uh, maybe some other people may be thinking the same thing right now. Um, let's let's talk about opening the Araxian Crown opening. Now he only has a nine channeling. Um, is is a mana crystal on turn one something that you would advise? Me personally. Um, I guess I wouldn't advise against it, but that's not how I play. 
Okay. Um, I think playing a mana crystal is not necessarily a bad play, but I know that for my book specifically, my opening turn is, you know, move one zone, ring of curses, Sectaris. Okay. Um, as Sectaris is a curse. Um, and so then you spent 11 mana and you have Sectaris. The thing is, if you, I, I play, I play a Sectaris book, and the thing there is that if you want Sectaris to be useful, um, you don't want to harmonize him, um, because he's only ever going to be able to spend two mana at a time. So if you have more than two mana on him, um, then you need to be casting stuff with him, uh, otherwise you're wasting, you're wasting his potential. Um, but that's that's what I do is I just slap that on and I kind of then uh, the next round I summon whatever I want to be my blood reaper depending on what I'm up against, um, and then round three is when I try and get in people's grill. Awesome. Um, generally, generally speaking. So that's a good opening. It's it's solid now. I will say that if you don't, if you like, when you're playing Sectaris, you're really trying to make sure that you get an attack with Sectaris every round, or at least every other round, because you're trying to take advantage of that free action, basically, because that allows you to go, yay! I took three actions this round. You know, one was a one was a five die melee attack with piercing um, because you have battle um, oh right the battle, battle skill. skill yeah yeah no Sectaris is great yeah holy he's, he's great but let's go over Sectaris um, really quick it's a 10 it's a 10 mana cost level 3 dark weapon um, it's also a familiar um, and it's going to channel 1 mana a turn and the card reads that um, it's a non-creature familiar it can be used to cast only curse enchantments um, if Sectaris is used to attack and damage a creature, again, you're going to be rolling five dice and he's got piercing plus one. It may be immediately, uh, it may immediately cast uh, a spell or a curse on the creature as a free action. So not only are you rolling five dice, you're going to get a free action to cast a curse, possibly at no cost to you if, you know, depending on how long you've had Sectaris on the field. But that is, that's huge, man. One of my favorite things to do with him is, you know, kind of barrel at their mage, and then the first time I hit them, go bam, Sectaris, and the first enchantment on them is a poison blood. Just right off the bat. Because I know I've got damage on you. If you decide to do some trick to try and get rid of it, I can just flip it up. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty fun that way. <laughs> um, another possibility is you go for Mage Bane, um, because... Every time you cast a spell, you're going to get a damage. Mm -hmm. You don't think that one damage is much, but keep in mind, unless you're playing against someone specifically trying to funnel into their uh, spawn points, they're probably going to cast two spells a turn for several turns. Right. Uh, and so it can it can add up pretty quick. Um, but like I said, Sectaris is kind of a I don't want to say it's a unique opening because it's it's 
it's one of the kind of standard directions you can take a a warlock, but it's also a very particular opening. Like you're wanting to attack with it every round. You're wanting to make sure that you're getting uh, the most out of what you're doing or what what you've invested in there. The other possibility is you go first round. Um, I cast. You know, I've got 19 mana. I cast my uh, Blood Reaper, and then I put on some equipment. Or I cast um, I cast Battleforge and move forward and, uh, you know, enchant myself. I mean, there's a lot of potential openings. Um, I would say the key cards to remember in the first few turns with the Warlock, ones that are going to give you good dividends throughout the whole game, obviously a Mana Crystal is going to be solid. The subtle beauty of it is if you are ever forced to, say, Ring of Fire or (laughs) Rain of Fire um, a zone, they're immune to it. So you don't have to ever worry about collateral damage on your fire stuff, which is great. But I'm not going to lie, probably not going to come into play often. So that's kind of, that's the easy one. That's the the super standard one. The Battleforge, a lot of warlocks like to play what they call a buddy strategy. It's where I load myself up and I play one, you know, bad mamma jamma demon and I load him up. And so the Battleforge is equipping me with extra stuff. It's giving me, you know, my few points of armor so that when I'm up in your grill, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to be as afraid. Um, you know, it's possibly throwing a regrowth belt or um, all sorts of other stuff. Yeah, I like Helm of Fear a lot. Helm of Fear, Helm of Fear is a weird card. Um, Helm of Fear, if you if you like Helm of Fear, I would definitely recommend you go with the Blood Demon. Mm-hmm. Because if your Helm of Fear works, then they're just going to start picking on your buddy. And the Warlock always wants to have, even if he plays like a creature-heavy strategy, um, which is is somewhat possible. I mean, you can definitely go creature heavy, but he's not hes not going to be like a Beastmaster. You're not going to just swarm things out. It's definitely going to play different. But regardless, you're always going to want to have your Blood Reaper. You're going to want to take advantage of that, especially since it costs you no mana. Mm-hmm. Which is the big benefit you have over the Beastmaster, is that in the early game, you're both going to channel the same, but if he wants to make a pet then he's going to have to invest uh, at least two extra mana in a creature. Um, Obviously, the benefit he gets is that pet helps everything about the creature. You know, uh, attack, armor, life, whereas you're just helping their attack, and you're helping you to to, uh, regen, which is a pretty significant thing. Um, But So you're always going to want to have that big guy with you. Regardless. Hmm, interesting. So, what about um, that's 
I think that's a, I think Sectaris is a very interesting. Op- I actually may try that next time we do organized play here, uh, which would be Sectaris is really fun. Um, oddly enough, one of my favorite things to to do with it is uh, either either Battle Fury or Whirling Strike. Whirling Strike is very rare, but what that lets you do is if one of the big problems is if someone's guarding and the person you really want to enchant is the guy standing behind the guard, uh-huh. well, that's where Battle Fury or Whirling Strike is going to help you because you're going to be able to hit all of them. Now, keep in mind, Sectaris, since it's a familiar, it prepares a spell every round. Right. So, um, by preparing the spell, you only have that one to cast. So you're only going to get to throw one curse on some one, even if you hit three different people. Um, so, just keep in mind, make sure you're putting on the person you uh, yeah. you really for. Yeah, that makes um, sense. And I guess uh, something else to keep in mind with Sectaris especially, um, you can build a curse-heavy book several different ways. Like I've said, I, I like Sectaris. He's fun. The other two would be to focus... Or, yeah, I guess the other two would be to focus on uh, Sirsix, because he can curse things, and he can cast fire spells. He's a familiar that's kind of unique, in the fact that he actually has some armor, and so he can stand up to a couple of attacks. Um, he is not invincible. Do not use him as such. Um, <laughs> but since curses are all range two, he can float around and drop curses on people, and then if you need to, uh, cast cast some fire spells. The third way is to just load tons of curses into the spell book you're already building. So if you're going for a buddy style, you can throw tons of curses into there. Because in all honesty, curses are all quick actions. They're all something that you can do on your turn in addition to smacking them with whatever weapon. Uh, just because I've been talking a lot about Sectaris does not mean that the Lash of Hellfire is bad. The Lash of Hellfire is amazing. Yeah, that's been my go-to oh. since I opened the box, I think. It it puts it puts a lot of pressure on. It has really good damage. Um, the thing that I really love that often gets missed is that it has reach. Mm-hmm. Um, if you come at me with birds, I can swat them from the sky. So yeah, and that's very, pretty sweet. Very easily supplemented too with like a ring of fire or something like that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but the thing you really want to keep in mind if you're going in a curse-heavy strategy, um, which is not a bad idea. <laughs> Enchanter's Wardstone. That thing is basically printed out of solid gold. <laughs> oh. And and sometimes that's that's my turn too with with a Sectaris build is like, oh, Ring of Curses, Sectaris, then I'll play some creature and a Enchanter's Wardstone. Because I want you paying more to get rid of my curses when I drop them on you. If I if if I throw down with Sectaris a poison blood on you, even if I don't reveal it, you have to pay four to seeking to spell it. 
So I'm already up in mana. Um, I know that when we were talking about control, the big deal is trying to get small advantages that add up over time. Well, Enchanter's Wardstone is a small advantage that makes it more difficult to keep up with you. Um, now, me personally, um, I, I usually just play one, maybe two. Um, I have seen people um, who are jerks, uh, but I like their style, <laughs> um, put like three or four of them in their book. And they're like, oh, I happen to have four mana and a quick action. Uh, I'll drop another one. I'll drop another one. And those are going to stack with one another, aren't they? Yeah, it's gonna, it, it adds up really quick. <laughs> and it's really, it's really annoying. Um, also, simply because it, they're, if I remember right, they're four life, four armor. So you can't just casually walk into the zone and go, I think I'll kill this. Uh, you have to basically beat the thing down with a sledgehammer. <laughs> so my normal go-to in other books is I'll use a force hammer. Because if I want to take down a conjuration, that's the way to do it. If I do that to these guys, I'm spending twice as much, and I might kill them. Right. It's not a good day. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, but but definitely that's that's a that that um you know that sectaris the um basically both of the familiars and the. Uh, Battle Forge, those are things to look at for your kind of early game because playing them down you can, if you play well you can leverage them most of the game and they're really going to help you know, they work as kind of a force multiplier, they're going to give you uh, extra actions and that's the other thing is once you play your Warlock, you're going to find um, what's going to help you what's going to help your game um like, I know that when I'm doing Sectaris, like I said, um, my Battle Fury is used in a very different way than when I'm using, say, the Lash of Hellfire. Um, the Lash of Hellfire, yes, I may have pumped my first attack up huge, and I may not get all those bonuses on the second one, but the number of times where, hmm, I think I would like to try for a turn where I could possibly get four burns on someone... That puts a lot of pressure on people. Yeah, that's awesome. Hmm. Now, you know what I'm doing now, and which is really stinks, Aaron, is I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about building a, a new book, um, or at least new to me book, and, and not doing the podcast, which I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> Uh, that's there's a lot of stuff here that we've talked about for the Araxian crowds. I think everybody, um, I mean, I think everybody needs to be mindful of you know if they play with people who are fans of the show, um, who may be playing vanilla or you know close to the starting books of the of the things right now. I know I know my play group specifically. There's a lot of newer players who've only been playing for a couple months, and uh, generally after every episode, it's something that we've talked about. Um, that they bring to the table. So ex expect to see some beefed up Araxian Crown Warlocks if you have uh, people in your gaming circles who listen to this show because I know I'm definitely going to try one next time I get a chance to play. Um, and this this is, uh, I think this has been really good. Um, no, it's, it, 
they're definitely fun. They're definitely like they're one of my favorites just because of how solid they are. They just they do a lot of things very well. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I we missed we missed a legendary demon uh Cerberus, I believe is a legendary demon. Oh, yes. The doggy. Yeah, there may be somebody that has been screaming that end of their end of their monitor since they've been watching their that's, iPad. Or that's fair. <laughs> like, how could you forget? But Cerberus? I was right. There were only two in the core set, so I'm feeling better about that. Yeah, I think you could. There, <laughs> you're still the indomitable one for sure. Um, is there anything about the Araxian Crown Warlock that you want to talk about that we haven't already, Aaron? I guess the last thing to talk about is. Uh... You know that you're going to be bringing fire spells with him because mm-hmm. they do they do rock solid damage. And honestly, I feel that if you're afraid of if you're afraid of a necromancer, an Araxian crown warlock, um, or a warlock in general, but to me specifically, the Araxian crown one is an excellent um, is an excellent match for a warlock because um, fire is going to help. Chew through resilient. Yeah, especially zombie warlocks. I, we had a guy. Um, it was as close to flipping a table as I've seen in a Mage Wars match. Where um, we had a guy build a zombie book. He brought it to the uh, he brought it to the game day, and has just been beating people senseless with it. And the guy was playing the uh, Jaktari Beastmaster, and he's just like, I just can't I can't do anything against the resilience. There's nothing I could do. And I was like, well, you know, there's a lot you could do. You're just right now and not prep for it. But there's a, there's a, there's ways around resilience, and burn is is one of my favorite ways around resilience. But the one thing I would keep in mind um, is it, even amongst his many strengths, the Erexian Crown Warlock does not come very well equipped to deal with ethereal uh, ethereal. I mean, incorporeals. Fire spells are not ethereal. So, if one of the things that I've seen done is, namely, wizards who have easy access to um, mana siphon. Well, if I mana siphon you, and you didn't come prepared with something to help chew through my incorporeal, that's a bad day for you. Because a warlock trying to make do on seven mana... Not so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, that's going to be something that you're going to want to keep uh, keep a close eye on because obviously, as we keep printing, as we keep printing cards, as we print new spells, there are going to be new incorporeal creatures um, and incorporeal objects. Right now, if you choose to ignore this, um, I would say the thing to be most afraid of. Um, is probably the mana siphon, followed closely by the gray wraith, mm-hmm. um, because an incorporeal guy who can put weeks on you is a bad day. Yeah, gray wraith is amazing. But those are what you have to worry about if you decide to ignore it right now. Those are, those are going to be your most threatening ones. Um, but later that could change. I know mm-hmm. that there are a fair number of you know, incorporeal possibilities in the pipeline, something I've been wanting to do do more of in general. Yeah, that's cool. That's actually something really cool to look forward to, I think. Um, well, all right, Aaron. Um, I think that's going to do it for this episode. I hope you guys really enjoyed this. It's so good to be back um, and uh, back with you, Aaron. Man, I really appreciate your time as always. 
Not a problem. Anything you want to say to the fans? The uh, Sorry, fans is such a terrible word to use. Is there anything you'd like to say to the people who graciously listen to us talk about Mage Wars? Uh, yes, the, the, the people who who put up with my uh, voice for radio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, in all honesty, um, I know that I, I had a guy post in the forums, this was several episodes back, saying, you know, how much he enjoyed just listening to my voice and listening to me talk about Mage Wars and stuff. And after I got over the fact that I was like, really? Because I listen to myself all day, every day, and trust me, it does not get better. (laughs) Um, But after I got over that, um, no, honestly, I've been really flattered at the response since we first started the show uh, several episodes ago. Yeah, I believe um, this is number 23, man. It's been a lot. It's been a lot of Mage Wars talked about on this show. And, and yes, and so the responses I've had from people, it's been it's been super flattering, and I've been really excited. So thank you. Thank you all for listening. Absolutely. I can echo that 1,000%. Um, as I mentioned, I am getting back into the swing of things with Let'sLevelUp.net, and uh, there's going to be lots more Mage Wars to come. Um, I'm thinking about actually doing a, a, a neat little Mage Wars video series. We're making really short videos that just go over tips and tricks and uh, things like how to do opens and some common strategies and whatnot. I'd like to keep them around two or three minutes apiece. That way we can just get a lot of them um, and hopefully introduce new people to the game, And which I think is what I'm trying to do most when I'm not doing work and family stuff is trying to get whoever I can to play Mage Wars to play Mage Wars because, again, it is the greatest game. Um, I'm going to make that the unofficial tagline, I think. Um, of Mage Wars. I hope Arcane Wonders doesn't mind. Um. <laughs> well, I guess that's more of a Scott question, but you're not going to have me complain. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I just want to thank everybody so much. Um, next week, I am going to fill the dead air. I'm going to. If anybody has actually browsed through iTunes or browsed through Let'sLevelUp.net, you notice I used to do a podcast before Mage Wars Mondays that Aaron was actually on the last episode of it airing. And uh, Scott was on before that. It was actually just called the Let's Level Up Podcast, which I believe is still the name of this thing within iTunes. Um, But we're going to bring that back. I'm going to bring some interesting new guests, some of my favorite new designers that I've gotten a little tighter with since I started this whole venture into this industry, and uh, some of my other reviewer buddies, and then just some personal friends. And it's going to be, I'm sure Mage Wars is going to be brought up from time to time, but it's going to be much more casual. Um, Not that this is super formal or anything. Um, Oh, yeah, I'm wearing a suit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually wearing a tuxedo T-shirt, but that's just kind of how I always am. Um, But we're going to be talking about just different things with gaming, uh, some things that may be going on in pop culture, and just generally making fools of ourselves. And I hope it's going to be something really fun and will, again, fill some of this thing that you guys have been complaining about really since episode one is that you want more content to listen to. So I hope you guys will enjoy that if, for whatever reason, you're not liking the direction that we're going and uh, just wanted to be all made towards all the time, please do not hesitate to let me know. I have very thick skin, and um, you probably won't hurt my feelings. Um, Unless you're the guy who on YouTube said my eyebrows were ugly, shame on you, sir. That was just not cool. Not cool at all. But until next time, guys, thank you again so much. Again, my name is Rick with Let's Level Up, and I hope everybody has a great time until the next episode, and uh, game on.